0: It's the media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. For those of you who are worried about the government shutting down, not going to happen, the Senate yesterday passing the same bill as the House, the stopgap measure, funding for another couple of months. And uh, once President Biden signs it, we will have dodged another bullet, but this just seems it's his deja vu. We just go through this every other month. Every two months, three months, it's just crazy. All right, I'm riled up today because of the next two stories I'm going to share with you before we even get to the Meter rundown. This is, is mind-boggling to me. I would say I'm speechless, but I've got a long period of time to go on this podcast, so I can't be speechless. The Guardian, London's Guardian, for reasons I'm not entirely clear on, published the letter that Osama bin Laden wrote called Letter to America After 9-11. And this has been available for 21 years. It's not like this is new news. It was discovered in some archive. And yesterday, the Guardian deleted the Osama letter from its website saying this has been widely shared on social media without its original context. Okay, what that means is it's kind of gone viral on TikTok. And here's the pathetic part. So it began with a woman uh, named Lynette Adkins. She's got almost 12 million followers. She said, I need everyone to stop doing what they're doing right now and go read *Letter to America. I feel like I'm going through an existential crisis right now. Thousands of younger people posted their reactions on TikTok. And many of them, most of them buy into this unbelievable propaganda in effect. They are saying, oh, Osama bin Laden, uh, he really had a point. Maybe America deserved to be attacked. Maybe nearly 3,000 of our citizens who were murdered on September 11, 2001, you know, I don't know, maybe we had it coming. I mean, the, the, the lack of any kind of loyalty or solidarity... For this country, here's one. I will never look at life the same. I will never look at this country, USA, the same. Because if you've read it, if you were going through an existential crisis, in the last 20 minutes, my entire viewpoint of the entire life I have believed and lived has changed. How are these people so uninformed so anti-American apparently, so susceptible to having their minds changed by propaganda that they are siding with one of the worst terrorists in history, one of the worst mass murderers in history. Oh, Osama bin Laden, he's completely changed my view of America. One of the sentences here, I'll repeat because it plays to the war in the Middle East, They threw hundreds of thousands of soldiers against us and have formed an alliance with the Israelis to oppress us and occupy our land. Our land. That was the reason for our response on the 11th. I'm going to leave it there. Now here's the other story. This also broke out yesterday. Elon Musk, who I basically have rooted for with his takeover of Twitter, although I've certainly repeatedly had to say he's gone too far this time, this was a dumb thing to do, and so on. So the, one of the world's richest people, I think I'll just say, the world's richest man, goes on X and endorses a tweet that is blatantly, clearly, unambiguously and horrifyingly anti-Semitic. The person writes, the person's got a, a relatively small number of followers. Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectic hatred against whites. Uh, let me repeat that. Hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using it against them. Wow. I, I mean, I guess I could start with the fact that many Jews are white. So is this self-hatred? Dielectric, dialectical hatred against whites. And what does Elon Musk do? He links to it and says, You have said the actual truth. Well there was a huge uproar as you might expect on Twitter. And Musk had to start backtracking, but not fully. He said that decolonization, popular word these days, necessarily implies a Jewish genocide. Thus it is unacceptable to any reasonable person, reasonable person. Okay. Elon Musk is against genocide. That's very comforting. And here's one person taking on Elon. That's not the actual point of the earlier tweet that he reposted. It's a way for me, uh, for us to say he's anti genocide, as opposed to, you know, a standalone tweet saying, by the way, I just want to go on record and say I oppose a Holocaust sequel. Now, Musk did say, in response to another online critic, you're right, that this does not extend to all Jewish communities, but it is also not just limited to ADL. Remember, Musk went after the Anti-Defamation League and said he was going to sue the Anti-Defamation League, which so far he's not done. And at the risk of being repetitive, says Elon Musk, I am deeply offended by ADL's messaging and any other groups who push de facto anti-white racism or anti-Asian racism or racism of any kind. I'm sick of it. Stop it now. Stop now. Okay, so he's accusing one of the foremost pro-Jewish groups, of pushing anti-white racism. Isn't that what the original tweeter was saying? I just don't know why, why would Elon Musk, very smart guy, very savvy guy, who's who's tangled on this issue before, flatly endorse such an anti-Semitic tweet? Okay, story number one. Just to give you an idea of how the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, is being treated by the press. Got a couple of different stories for you here. The New York Times traces his staunch conservatism to this. Um, many, many years ago, when uh, Johnson was starting out, Women in a law office in Baton Rouge talked about him. He was just an associate, one year out of law school. Floors at the abortion clinic where they worked, they told him, were flecked with dried blood. The surgical instruments were so rusted they left orange streaks on your hands. Patients screamed in pain as brusque doctors performed their abortions. These were a bunch of allegations made against the Delta Clinic in Baton Rouge. The case was also an opportunity. Still in his 20s, Mike Johnson was already a rising star in Louisiana's anti-abortion movement. His firm's lawsuit against Delta filed in late 1998 on behalf of a patient alleging that an abortion there had left her injured and infected set off a furor. Local TV news investigation led to Louisiana's and as Republican governor, declaring a public health emergency. Mike Johnson's first triumph in a grinding two-decade battle against the Delta Clinic and against abortion more broadly. But the Washington Post has a whole different sort of origin story about the Speaker. Mike Johnson was an eager young lawyer, four years out of law school, when he stayed up till 5 a.m. one night, poring over the details of a controversy roiling his hometown, the opening of a new strip club. By the morning, he was so worked up, he appeared later that day at a Shreveport City Council meeting to implore city leaders to block the Deja Vu Club from moving in downtown. I have done exhaustive legal research on this matter. He said... He said the arrival of another sexually oriented business or SOB would spread sexually transmitted diseases and other social ills. Now, the pitch failed. The club opened the next year, but it was a turning point for him. It marked the end of his short-lived career as a general practice lawyer and the beginning of his single-minded focus on the culture wars, put him on the path to elected office. Johnson's district has been a Republican stronghold since the beginning of the century. Um, and then he joined the Christian nonprofit now known as the Alliance Defending Freedom. Now, one person said it's not true that Mike Johnson was fired or asked to leave the law firm or this alliance Uh, because of his actions. So, either it's a strip club coming into town that made him into the crusader who became a congressman, or it's an abortion clinic in another town in Louisiana, which transformed his life and launched his political career. Well, which is it? And just to throw in a piece from Politico, current day... How Speaker Mike Johnson sits on the board of a Christian publishing house that suggested getting monkeypox was, quote, an inevitable and appropriate penalty for being gay. Uh, Also, that Barack Obama was rumored to be the Antichrist because of his leanings toward Islam. Obama, of course, is a Christian. So, there's a video that's part of this organization quoting a biblical scripture saying those who engage in homosexual acts would get in their own bodies the inevitable and inappropriate penalty. A spokesman for Johnson said these statements are not a reflection of his views. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, story two. This one in the Hill newspaper. And it has to do with some fascinating developments yesterday involving Donald Trump and the Georgia case brought by the Fulton County DA. You've heard me talk about, and maybe you've seen on the tube, uh, taped interview sessions in which several of the former Trump campaign lawyers who have pleaded guilty in that Georgia case are making what, as I described yesterday, was known as a proffer to the prosecution. Meaning, here's what I've got to say that you will find interesting and will help you prosecute this case and we can negotiate that in a plea bargain, if you're interested. And one of the ones that has gotten the most attention was Jenna Ellis, saying a top Trump aide had said they're not leaving office no matter what. That's what the boss wants. And what about um, the fact that it's not done this way? We don't care. Now we know how these tapes leaked. One of the other defendants Remember, they were originally 19. You know, Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani, uh, Donald Trump. As well as a bunch of people you never heard of. Lawyer for one of these defendants. Admitted. in a hearing about a protective order placing restrictions on how defendants can disseminate disseminate, materials they receive as part of the discovery process, admitted that he leaked these tapes to ABC News. This is Jonathan Miller. He's representing Misty Hampton, who's a local activist and official. In being transparent with the court, said Jonathan Miller, and to make sure that nobody else gets blamed for what happened, and so that I can go to sleep well tonight, judge, I did release those videos to one outlet, and in all candor, I need the court to know that. Hmm. You don't usually find out who leaks this stuff. And these videotaped confessions, also published by the Washington Post, obviously help bolster the narrative that Fonnie Willis, the Fulton County DA, laid out in the indictment of Trump and all these other people. But I think it hurts her case to have this kind of, these kind of confidential discussions out there thanks to this lawyer for one of the co-defendants. And I also think, you get right down to it, this could be, you know, an opening for Donald Trump, perhaps others, to say there should be a mistrial. Trump has moved for a mistrial, by the way, in the New York case, the civil fraud case brought by state AG Letitia James, where he's already been found guilty along with the Trump Organization of improperly inflating real estate prices. And the the trial now is really just devoted to what will the punishment be? And depending on the judge there, who's been roundly and repeatedly attacked by Donald Trump, along with Letitia James, uh, could go as far as saying that the Trump organization can't do business in New York state, but we shall see. Number three. I watched um, Joe Biden's news conference, I'm glad he had a news conference, in San Francisco after he had spent time with Xi Jinping, first meeting in a year. And certainly Biden didn't try to oversell what had happened. You know, they had a dinner and they took a walk on the grounds of this mansion where the meeting was taking place. And they had talks. You you saw the pictures of, you know, a very, very, very long table with the Chinese on one side, the Americans on the other. Washington Post puts it this way. Um, Biden and Xi agreed to restore communications between their country's militaries, lowering tensions between the two superpowers while the White House is struggling to manage wars in Europe and the Middle East. So... The way Biden what Biden kept stressing was that to avoid a miscalculation or a mistake, their military should be in touch. China had cut that off, and um, also talking about strengthening um, the efforts where they've already been cooperating on battling fentanyl, but you know nobody made any uh, bones about the fact that they were already at odds and they continue to be at odds over trade, cybersecurity, human rights. Biden says he and I agreed that each of us could pick up the phone, call directly would be heard immediately. Meaning uh, that what, what we used to call the hotline and maybe you don't, know, you know, maybe somebody's tied up, but the point is she and Biden said they would be available to each other if there's a matter of concern. And Biden said, look, we're competitors. We're going to compete very hard against China. But that doesn't mean we can't cooperate on matters of mutual interest. And it doesn't mean that we won't be talking to each other. They also agreed to restart the climate talks, which had been broken off you know, during that period where the Chinese spy balloon was shot down and Biden had called Xi a dictator, which he is, and which Biden repeated when asked by a reporter. Took a bunch of questions at this news conference. To me, the biggest takeaway is Xi Jinping said... China was strongly inc- uh, inclined to send back to the U.S. pandas. The pandas from the National Zoo here in Washington, biggest attraction in the zoo by far, I've gone there a million times, were just sent back to China last week. I don't know if, the, if, the, if there are new pandas, whether it be the same pandas, would it be coming to Washington or other cities? I don't know but I love the pandas. Maybe I don't... Yes, I'm not getting taken in by Chinese propaganda. I just like pandas. And obviously, it's a gesture of goodwill and so forth. And believe me, I've got plenty of criticism of China going back to the Wuhan virus and the way it conducts itself on the world stage. The pressure tactics it uses, although it also gives a lot of money to other countries in order to buy their... Um, cooperation. Now, the New York Times, in, an, in I guess an analysis, much uh, has a much different tone than what I just read you. Uh, she denounced what he called futile American efforts at containing China. He acknowledged that U.S. tech restrictions had taken a toll. He basically was serving notice that China has global ambitions but said it didn't have to lead to conflict with, conflict with the U.S. She wants to convince Washington and the world that he's willing to engage with the U.S. in part to lure back foreign investment to help China's ailing economy. But he also wants to demonstrate to the Chinese people, says the New York Times, that he strongly defended Beijing's interests and burnished its images of world power on a par with the United States, not a secondary one, making concessions. Well, of course he did. Of course he did. Uh, you know, he's got his own domestic politics to deal with. Perhaps the most striking signal came when she said the earth is big enough to accommodate both countries. And anything negative that happened from this sort of mini summit was not reported by the Chinese media. They tried to paint this as a you know a triumphant uh, meeting or series of meetings between the Chinese leader for life and the American president. You know I know Biden's already getting beat up by the right. But every American president has talked to a Chinese leader. Would you prefer they don't talk at all? Taiwan came up only briefly, says Joe Biden, at that news conference. And so, expectations were kept low for what happened yesterday in San Francisco. And indeed, you know, what they basically did was let's kind of reset relations here and reestablish communications channels, and that's not nothing. But it's hardly a big agreement between two countries that, you know, China, not just because of its military and its nuclear weapons, but because of its, the sheer size of its population, um, have an absolute major imprint on world affairs. So that has come and gone. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Number four, turning to the war. Okay, we keep seeing reports that they're close, they're close, they're close on the hostages. Uh, The latest report, Hamas has agreed in principle. And Israel is now considering a proposal for the release of at least... 50 women and children among the roughly 240 foreign and Israeli hostages being held by the terrorist group in Gaza. That's an Arab diplomat describing the situation to the Washington Post. In exchange, Israel would agree to three to five day pause in place in the fighting, increased humanitarian aid to Gaza, and the release of an unspecified number of women and children held in Israeli prisoners. So it's sort of a prisoner exchange. Although, keep in mind, Israel isn't holding civilians as prisoners. They were arrested and jailed for some overt acts. Um, Israel doesn't really want a three or five day pause, but, and I bet you it would end up being three if indeed this goes through. But it wants to get as many hostages home as it can. And keep in mind, this is just 50 or so. The Hamas terrorists would still be holding another 150. Uh, various people familiar with the talks said the arrangement could fall apart, as others have up to now. President Biden, who had a phone call uh, day before yesterday with Bibi Netanyahu told reporters, I've been talking with the people involved every single day. I believe it's going to happen. And I, I believe that he also had another phone call yesterday while in San Francisco uh, with the Israeli prime minister. Number of factors are complicating the talks. Neither Israel nor the U.S. speaks directly to Hamas. Uh, even when they're all gathered in Doha, which is the capital of Qatar. but progress was made, according to this story when CIA director William Burns and his Israeli counterpart met there indirectly with Hamas's political leaders. Now, the situation at the hospital Israeli military was solidifying its hold uh, on the hospital yesterday after storming the complex. Soldiers were conducting searches. Now, they don't appear to have found, you know, a network of tunnels underneath the hospital, unlike at other hospitals, uh, schools, and places that you would generally consider to be occupied by civilians and not be part of the terrorist machine. But Israel... Released yesterday, I just saw this a seven minute unedited video. So you can't accuse the Netanyahu regime of saying, of just you know, fabricating this or using editing to get the pictures and images that it wanted. And an Israeli military guy who speaks pretty good English sort of provides a guided tour. And so hidden behind the MRI machines was weaponry, including AK-47s. Elsewhere in the hospital, there were grenades. There was body armor. Why would a hospital have these things? So Israel is hoping to turn the narrative about how dare its forces surround and then storm a hospital by showing this is not just a hospital. This is what Hamas does, using human shields. It endangers the lives of poor, sick, and wounded Palestinians who are in that hospital, in other hospitals. And it doesn't really care, because if the civilians get killed, they blame Israel. They call them martyrs. It's another propaganda point for them. Meanwhile, Chris Wray, FBI director, uh, said on the Hill yesterday that the Bureau had opened uh, a number of investigations into Hamas trying to thwart any potential attacks or financial support for the terrorist group here in the States. We are urgently running down every tip and lead. We cannot and do not, says Ray, discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our soil. We've seen a rogues gallery, he says, of foreign terrorist organizations call for attacks against Americans and our allies. All right, number five. This was remarkable. Chip Roy, a very conservative Republican congressman from Texas, stood up on the House floor yesterday, and with great passion, I mean, this was not him just reading from a piece of paper, this was a very animated and almost angry speech in which he ripped his own Republican party his own Republican party everybody's already saying you can you look forward to seeing uh, snippets of this speech in democratic ads over the next year and i think that's probably right no more excuses he said no more excuses from my colleagues on the other side of the aisle but most importantly no more excuses from my colleagues on this side of the aisle The eyes of the American people, they've been watching from afar, wondering when this body, the people's house, will stand up in defense of the people who send us here. When are we going to do what we said we would do? When are we going to stand up for it and stop the reckless spending that is bankrupting a country that can no longer issue debt without having Moody's downgrade our rating? And then he goes on. That's the way this town operates. Slush funds, backroom deals, continuing to spend money we don't have. I'm sick and tired of it. I didn't come here for second place. I didn't come here for more excuses. When is it going to be enough? Is $34 trillion of debt not enough? $2 trillion of deficits not enough? For the life of me, says Chip Roy, I do not understand how you can go to the trouble of campaigning, raising money, going to events, talking to these people, coming to this town as a member of a party uh, that allegedly stands for something, allegedly stands for reducing spending, allegedly stands for eliminating debt, securing the border, strong military, ending the wokeness that is killing and corrupting our schools, and then do nothing about it. And then I think the high point of his speech, as he railed against the GOP, One thing, I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, and he's holding up a single finger, one thing that I can go campaign on and say, we did. One. Explain to me. He says, anybody else want to come down? And explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done. Well, I guess you could say they avoided the government shutdown, Which, of course, in doing that, Mike Johnson did the exact same thing that Kevin McCarthy did that led to his ouster and had to rely on, in this case, all but two Democratic members of the House to bail out the Republicans. But there's been, you know, they've been dealing with all of that. They've been dealing with the Biden impeachment inquiry. They've spent almost three weeks without a speaker. They, they've been just sort of wrapped up in the messy politics of the House. So if, if Chip Roy says he can't think of one thing the Republicans have accomplished since they've been given control of the House of Representatives that they can go campaign on, I mean, that's not even tough love. That is a denunciation of his own party. He was angry. He was ticked off. He was just letting his Republican colleagues have it. And when they try to talk up what they've done, Democrats will say, look, this is, they haven't done anything. Listen to Chip Roy. I mean, Chip Roy will be uh, famous as a result of this speech because it will be repeated, quoted, and played time and time and time again by the other party, by the Democrats. At the same time, I have to give him full credit for doing what is a very difficult thing. To stand up there by himself, take on his party because he believes the party has not accomplished anything for the people who sent its members there. If that's not intellectual honesty, I don't know what is. I'm not endorsing everything he said. But man, I haven't seen a speech like that in roughly forever. And with that, we'll wrap things up here. Thanks for coming along for the ride. It it just seems crazier and crazier in Washington. That's the latest example. At least he didn't punch anybody or elbow anybody or threaten to... Uh, We'll call them names, but rhetorically, he threw some very strong punches. Hey, join us tomorrow. It'll be Friday, heading toward the weekend, with another edition of BuzzMeter. Listen ad free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad free on Amazon Music.